One, two, three. Welcome to the Smartest Amazon Seller Podcast. It's your host, Scott Needham. We've got some very interesting topics. I've been around for a while, I've been around for 10 years. I've learned a lot. I know a lot about selling on Amazon. And so it's not often that I come across something that's new. I didn't know how to optimize for this. And we're going to talk about variations at first, and then we're going to talk about profit maximization through pricing by the end. I have with me Jason Hainan, AZ Seller Kit. Jason, welcome. How are you doing, Scott? Fun to do this. Yeah, Jason, I saw you. We were on a webinar together probably almost two months ago, and I saw you presenting. I was like, oh, dang it. Like, this is good. I've got to reach out. So we're going to talk about variation pages and some very interesting nuances about them. I think variation pages are like one of the more complex parts of Amazon, both to like understand what's going on underneath the hood, but like the top products are usually on variations, especially in some categories. Well, tell us a little bit about your background and then we'll jump straight into it. Sure. So I have a retail background. I used to own uh, record stores, things like Tower Records, a store like that. We had three stores in Manhattan. They were called Entertainment Outlet. We got into the Amazon world because we had so much product around, you know, 2001, 2002, that we started listing our music and movies on Amazon from way back in the day. So we've been building data, reporting, and have been uh, very just ingrained in Amazon's backend since then. Fast forward, DVD, Music World fell apart. We took that Amazon knowledge and became an agency. We started representing sellers, basically private label. Before there were agencies, we kind of uh, just happened upon it as just a way to take our knowledge and do something productive. And about four years ago, we took the internal software that we've been using forever and basically made it forward-facing. It's an automated pricing tool as well as a business intelligence tool. And that gave us really a, a lot of just data and a lot of sellers. So we see a lot of like book resellers. They're still out there doing really strong. Is there any bit of like the uh, volume left for sellers in uh, DVDs, music? We have seen it really, really disappear. Like, believe it or not, it held on till you know, 2016, 2017, where we really were still profitable. Around 2018 and 19, it really just became a liquidation game. And we were just a lot of people at inventory, including us. And we were selling stuff, but it was basically you set your cost of goods in the system to a penny. And you just try and see what happens because the inventory at that point really almost had no value. And yeah. you just tried to do as much. So you still see numbers going through. Yeah. Of course, so the market crashed. And, but I'm wondering if you know if any sort of market came out of those ashes where, like, say 90% of the people just left, but then, like, okay, 10%, like, they figure out a way to like angle it. Okay, this movie is hot. Yeah, I was probably that last 10% holding on. There were a few people left over, but whoever's left at this point has to be supplementing their business with something else. You know, you can find a diamond in the rough and hold on to it, but it is not putting yeah, food yeah, on yeah. the table for anyone. It sounds like you're only selling to collectors right now, and that is a tough space to be in. It's not a volume game. So, no. like, if you want to make money, there's just the same thing happened to us in retail, actually, where like we were actually didn't matter how many units we sold, the market price for a CD was five dollars. So how many CDs can you sell at $5, you know, and pay a rent in Manhattan, you know, and that kind of with the Amazon fees that are associated in order to do, you know, in order to sell on FBA, 
the prices that people want to pay for DVDs and CDs right now. There's just no room to actually make money and do volume. Right. Well, I wanted to close that chapter because booksellers still doing great, still doing strong. Books different um, than DVDs and movies. Exactly. Very, very different. Very different. Okay. So variations. I mean, the gist of what you're talking about is that a customer is searching for products and let's pick on, you know, some sort of grocery product that like has a lot of flavors. Let's say uh, a protein bar and there's 10 flavors, but only one of them is showing up when you hit protein bar. Which one shows up? So it depends on the keyword that you actually put in. So Amazon will display a different search result depending on the keyword that you put in. So understanding the search volume of where your items are showing up is a very big part of it. So doing your keyword tracking to understand if let's say chocolate has the most search volume when you type in protein bar and chocolate showing up, you want to make sure that you're priced aggressively on the chocolate one. Because if you're priced aggressively on the peanut butter one because you happen to get a deal and that's not showing up in search and you're running low on inventory or something is different that's making you want to price the chocolate one higher, that is effectively, you know, I always make the analogy, it's a retail store. Your retail store is the entire listing and your window is what's showing up in search. So if you're putting in the window your worst priced item, then your customer's not going to walk into the store. So keeping track of what's in the window, which is basically what's in search and what retail price is there, how you're presenting that item. Do you have a coupon in search? Do you have a prime exclusive discount on that item? Getting the customer into the store is the most important thing and how to get click through is the most important. Yeah, it sounds like we're talking about click through in a lot of ways. I'm not sure I fully captured it. Let me back up. So if someone types in protein bar and you are like one of the, you know, you're the top five, because chocolate is the highest association with protein bars, Amazon's going to decide to choose chocolate. So this is where it gets tricky, right? Amazon's going to choose what to show from your listing that they believe converts the best. It may not be the best-selling item on your variation. It may not be the most popular in the category. So if all of a sudden, one of the examples that you gave was actually not with protein bar, but you can make the same connection, is if for some reason you're the only guy in the market that came up with an almond pecan protein bar. And every time someone clicks on the listing, they buy this almond pecan protein bar, and you're converting for that at 80%, let's say, something crazy, but you're only selling 20 pieces a day. If you're selling 300 a day on the chocolate one, but for whatever reason, this almond one has an incredible conversion rate when someone clicks on it, Amazon may decide to show almond okay. protein bar. Yeah, yeah. So conversion rate on the product itself matters, but is it also still keyword dependent? Exactly. And that can end up hurting you, right? Because if for some reason now macadamia nut or almond is showing up in search, all of a sudden when you type in protein bar, your item shows up as a macadamia bar and that's 5% of the market. So it can tank your whole listing if you're not actually aware that this item is what's showing up in search. Now, let's say we just all heard you spoke. Now we're woke. We know that like variations are complicated. What yep. would you do with that information? Would you make sure that your whatever is getting the most visibility is just the least expensive? That's generally one of the moves that we do. Or you kind of make sure that you have some sort of a discount on there, whether it's a coupon or whether okay. it's a splash through. 
a prime exclusive discount, that you're doing something to make sure that the item that you want to have convert is what's showing up. So in that example of let's say the macadamia nut one is converting and you're only selling 20 a day and that's destroying your listing, you got to raise the price on that item because it's actually hurting you that it's converting as well as it is. Sometimes you have to pull it out of the variation completely because you're destroying a full listing because Amazon randomly decided to place this item as the main thing that they're showing in search. So you really have to be vigilant on understanding. I mean, usually if there's an anomaly in sales for a day, we're automatically all over. Like, how are we showing up in search on this variation? Did something change? And very often it will be Amazon decided to show something else. And you're not sure why, you're not sure what happened, but you can affect that by either pulling it off a listing, raising a price, or being more aggressive on the variation that you want within your listing to get that. Like a lot of the times we don't fight upstream. Like if Amazon is basically choosing to show a specific variation, if it's really extreme, where it like really tanks the listing, which is honestly a pretty rare case, it doesn't really happen that often. But generally, if let's say it's chocolate and they're showing you know chocolate chip instead and they're both kind of the same neighborhood, you got to take the chocolate chip, make sure the chocolate chip is reduced in price, and you could raise the price on the chocolate. And then you basically become just more profitable overall, but you have to know what's showing up in search and make sure that you're being aggressive. Awesome. I love that because like, I mean, I'm seeing a lot of new attention on click-through rate right now across the board, you know, people inserting like keywords on the packaging of a product so that the packaging actually matches what people are searching. I think just increases the click-through. I actually experienced what you just described today. First day of Prime Day. And on Prime Day, what I like to do the most is browse the grocery categories because now that I am a, uh, a dad, I don't go out to the grocery store that often. It comes at a little bit more of a premium. And my house now has a, a, a fridge drawer. So I'm like, let's fill it up with stuff, guys. So I went and saw Yerba Mate, that mate drink, and it was inexpensive. They put a Prime exclusive discount on a flavor but they didn't have it on all flavors. But I ended up buying the flavor that I wanted because I'm like, well, I don't want this mint flavor. I want peach. So it was that coupon that got me in the door and I converted. Yep. And that's part of what we do. A lot of the times via software, we can kind of handle that if you're not doing it manually. But at the end of the day, once they're in the door, you play with the pricing on the rest of the listings but you got to try and make sure you're focused on freezing pricing on the one item that's in search. Once they're in the store, you can very often raise pricing on other variations that are better by a dollar. I'm not talking crazy where an item's $19.99 and you're going to have the other variations at $29.99, but you can be at $24.99 on one and $26.99 on another. So you can make money on the other items within the variation and just get them in the door, like what happened with you. Make sure that you got a coupon, something to get them to click in. Once they're in, and you, we also, another thing that we find is that if you have price variation within a parent, if there are different prices, customers like to feel like they're choosing something, and once they get more engaged in shopping, they're more likely to convert. If you click on a listing and everything was one price, now you almost zone out to a certain extent, and you blind shop, but if there's different pricing, 
there's much more engagement from the customer. I feel like experiment. Is there any sort of, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, you may have already worked on this. Are there any tools out there that kind of like handle specific variations, what's showing and how to react? Unfortunately, there's no, we have not seen anything and we have not well, been able to. Because it's not far from our wheelhouse on Smart Scout of like what we should be doing. Do you know what? We have done a little bit on the rank tracking because we tie the list, the ASIN to a parent. So if you, you know, you type in an ASIN, we're going to show you the entire parent and like what's showing on different keywords. That actually is a worthwhile place to start. I didn't think about that. But because I can't completely recommend it because I've never even looked at it. But that's very interesting because it would be really cool to see, you know, across your catalog, which variants are on which keywords. It's a process we're doing manually. And, you know, we do it manually with VAs that are going through our listings. And it's really, it's not complicated. Like you yeah. do with yeah. Like we have to have really large, we have large catalogs that we're dealing with. So for us, having to have a formula is important. I think this is something that we kind of do, but I'll have to play around with it. I got plenty of other stuff to get my VA to do. So if you could figure out how, you know, how to get us that data, that yeah. would be, it's, it's it, a pain It wouldn't be exactly the format that you were looking at. If I were in your shoes, I'd be like, you want to know the date that it switches, you know? Oh, yeah. That'd be valuable. Just um, keyword and ASIN from the parent that's showing up. Like that data point is definitely not something that a Helium 10 is doing right now. And, you know, if you could yeah. pull the, you know, which item in the parent is showing up and then exactly the change log, that would be awesome. Don't worry. We do a lot of things that Helium 10 doesn't do. That's, mm -hmm. that, that's, our, uh, that's our space. Okay. That I want to jump in. So when you guys think about pricing, you do for primarily for sellers that control all of the buy box. Mm -hmm. You know, we're thinking private label or maybe if you have an exclusive, whatever, but like you need, we want all the buy box to play with when we're talking about, you know, the, your approach to updating pricing. And, oh, this is a current event. It turns out the FTC in their uh, suit did talk about Amazon playing around with pricing mm -hmm. and like on their own, on what they sell. And I love it because I'm like, okay, you know, Amazon's playing the same game that we are, you know, to, yeah. to eat that's where we learned it. That's I have no problems of them uh, messing around. I mean, just because I've been doing it for a decade where we move prices here or there. But there's another part of the FTC that maybe affects you because, you know, you're with private label sellers is the, uh, the suppression. Do you work around that or it just happens? Okay. Ozzy, for us, if they actually get that through, and just to be clear, if people don't know what we're talking about, there's right now Amazon, if you're in another marketplace, let's say you're on Walmart or Target or Home Depot, if your price is lower on that marketplace, they'll suppress the buy box so that you have to match that marketplace. Yeah. Which basically means Amazon's case is that we're, you know, it's lower prices for the consumer, but what ends up happening in real time, which is what the FTC is basically claiming, which is true, is that instead of it keeping prices lower, everybody just has to raise their prices on the other marketplaces because Amazon is the big game in town. If you're doing 80% of your business or 90% of your business on Amazon, you're not that even though you can afford to sell it on Home Depot for $30, if you yeah. have to be at 35 on Amazon because of the fees, the prices actually go up on the other marketplaces. Yeah, no, so, absolutely. It is... Um, they made a line that I never had heard before where Amazon has such control of e-commerce 
that they actually can make what happens on other people's like own private brands on their private websites. Amazon influences that. Yes, for sure. So and, and they're, they're saying that we're influencing it and keeping the prices down on Amazon, but ultimately that's really not what's happening because sure. the Amazon's structure is much higher than a lot of these I, other websites. The, the thing is, is I do feel like Amazon's case is compelling enough that like, I don't know if the FTC has got like a slam dunk. Yes, it has a huge effect on the internet, but like, you know, Amazon has competition that's strong. Yeah, no, it's far from a slam dunk, but as a seller, oh my God, if they yeah. actually, and as a soft, like we have a, a major part of our software is that we're basically fixing buy box problems automatically when you get suppressed across marketplaces because it can happen at any time, anywhere, with no rhyme or reason. So yeah. it's built in that if we if you get suppressed, it's got to be updated automatically, and then you can you know make a decision later if you're happy with it or not, and you know raise a price somewhere else later. But if we could have that problem eliminated, where you could actually price what you want on Amazon when you want to, without having to worry about that, oh yeah, it would make our life so much easier. Well, so I've got a private label brand. I feel like we have about 50 to 100 products. They're all over the place. Some of them are in very competitive categories. Some of them are less so. You know, some of them are dominant players and some of them are not. And pricing comes up as a pain point for us to manage yeah. because, you know, we have 100% buy box control. There's just, there's just always this like never knowing if we got it right. And, you know, there's this idea of like profit maximization, like, you know, what is the price at which, you know, you can, you can achieve most of the profit, you know, where you have the volume and the gross margin. And it might be a low gross margin just does so much volume, that's price maximization. Or it might be the reverse, it might be being a high price at low volume, that's profit maximization at a lesser, and that second scenario actually has a less capital cost. You don't have to invest as much inventory. Okay, yep. you don't, if I remember right, you feel like there's a flaw in thinking of things about that, like in this way that I just framed. Um, so the profit maximization is a, so you're not saying it wrong, that profit maximization is always the goal. But the path to profit maximization on Amazon, we have found is through velocity optimization. Because if you choose to go for profit optimization in the short run, you may find there are times where you can sell an item for two, three dollars higher and you'll lose, you know, 10-15% of velocity and overall you're more profitable and then you feel good about yourself. But as you're dropping in your velocity, you're also dropping in your ranking, in your keyword ranking and all the other factors that you know, go into Amazon's algorithm. So if you're converting less, you feel good about yourself for a couple of weeks. Before you know it, you know, the 12 pieces that you were selling a day that you were happy with turns into 10, turns into 9, turns into 8. And now how do you climb back up the mountain? In order to climb back up the mountain, it's lower your price, spend money on advertising, and get back up. And that costs you that much more. Interesting. So I've just listened to Elon Musk's new biography. And what stands out to me in that is when he talks about building rockets is how much they focus on making the rockets just less expensive. So, you know, you're telling me, let's say that like, okay, I could raise the price or I could optimize every 
piece on the way down and get extra margin there. Whereas like I go low, I go low price, I stay there. So I'm always a category leader. I'm getting the volume and I'm getting the increased attention from Amazon because they like my product mm -hmm. and that, well, if I'm got, if I got a low margin there, you probably have flexibility on the bottom end of your fee structure. Potentially. You know, you're, right, right. I mean, I the, may be jumping ahead, but like. The only thing that I'll sort of, um, I want to just sort of, I want to say correct you on a little bit, but the philosophy is not necessarily that you, you know, having a low margin is the way to go. It's that testing your price to the point of velocity failure is really our philosophy. That if you have managed to make it to page one, page two, let's call it. Tons of people make a lot of money living on page two, right, without having to be as aggressive, let's say, on page one. But if you are on page one and you're there already, the conversion rates on page one are like 30, 40% better than if you have a customer that's going to go through page two. So if you're on page one and you've made it there with a low price, then test if your higher prices can support the same velocity. And you have to find that spot where I'm on page one and I'm at 25. Can I go to 26? Can I go to 27? And maybe 27 can hold you that same velocity and you're still okay. But if you get to 28 and 29 and your velocity starts to drop off but your profitability is better, now you might say 29 is a better price. But really, 27 is the better price because that is where you're holding at the same velocity where you were able to get some more margin because you put in the work, you did the optimization, you already okay. made it to page one. Just don't let that velocity break. But testing higher pricing is really what we're all about. I mean, margin compression on Amazon is insane. The amount of changes that they've made to long-term storage fees, to fourth quarter, the fees just go up indiscriminately on their handling fee goes up 30 cents here, 50 cents here, just for, while they're charging you more for storage, so, you know, staying at a lower price, I'm not saying is the answer to all your problems. It's testing higher prices to the point of where your velocity is going to get hurt. And I really firmly believe that pricing is going to go up a lot on Amazon over the next three to six months. I think that in 2023, people were stuck with inventory from 2022 and they had no choice but to move through stuff. You know, the aggregators had a ton of stuff that they just had to move through. All the free money's gone, you know, interest rates are higher. You don't have to own merchandise anymore unless you're making money. And that I think is gonna cycle through. And I think people in the next two quarters are gonna actually start looking at their bottom line. And if they're selling for cost, I don't think people don't wanna do it anymore. And I think that's gonna create a natural push across the board and you gotta test and see if your item can hold higher prices. And we're finding that you can a lot of the time. You know, it doesn't work 100% of the time. And honestly, I'm not going to say it works, you know, 50% of the time. But if you can find 25, 30% of your catalog where you can push your retails up, that's, it's a home run, especially if you're in, you know, high volume category. Yeah, I agree. When it comes to pricing, you know, you, you want to be aggressive, but another part of you also like, you have to be finding excuses to raise your price. And like you said, without hurting your velocity, that is, that is, that is like the key right there. And like not to over pitch automation, but what we found is that automation takes a lot of the emotion out of it. And sometimes you got to just let the, you know, let things raise prices, even though it's against your instinct. And, you know, as long as you have sort of the rules set up and the, you know, your, 
barrier set up for how far you're willing to let things drop. You know, just because you're, and we see this all the time, if something's not working in September, doesn't mean that it's not going to work in October. I mean, like, you can try things every month, every few weeks. You can keep testing the bounds of where you can go, and you'd be surprised how the market can change in a month. Like, people think that they found the price six months ago, and that's the price. Things now, change over time. These types of tests, do you find it's a little bit easier or better if a product already has a certain amount of volume? Like, uh -oh. oh, yeah. Like, that's probably the biggest... Uh, one of the biggest differences, I would say, is you know between launch and between mature items. You know where launch is, that's up for you know philosophical debate. Is it two months, three months, six weeks, six months? Let's just say we'll call launch for argument's sake six months. Fine, that's launch. But once you get past that six-month point and an item is mature and the Amazon algorithm has sort of all of its data built into it and it's actually selling, I mean, that's also a big part. Like, uh, you can't really do much with an item that's, uh, you know, selling half a unit a day. It just doesn't mean all that much. But if you have items that are actually selling and it's not in launch, then that's where these price tests are actually meaningful. But it's much harder to, you know, test pricing on an item that has eight reviews. Doesn't necessarily mean as much. Like, you're really just trying to do, you know, every... Yeah, you know, I won't say every trick in the book that you can do between a coupon, a lightning deal, or there, like whatever you can do to build up ranking and reviews and you do all of that on launch and you try and almost, you know, you throw margin out the window very often on launch and you're just trying to get organic ranking reviews so that later on the item exists and is actually, you know, already in the Amazon flywheel. But, you know, that's a whole different discussion on pricing. So would you feel like, let's say we're selling one to three a day, is it hard to do a test on that? Or is it like better when you're like at like 10 to 20 a day, 50 plus a day? It's the, it just means that your data is going to come in, you know, much faster if you have more sales data. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah you, yeah, you yeah, can yeah. test three a day. It just might take you a week to 10 days to figure out what's going on. If you're selling 20, 30 units a day, you're going to get instant feedback on, you know, where the market's going and what's happening. Okay, I love it. Well, those are two very interesting subjects. We jumped right into it. The uh, variations and interesting subject on its own. But while I had you, I was like, well, there's more uh, to it. So oh, this is a very interesting conversation around profit maximization. No, it doesn't get talked about enough. When it, in terms of pricing, people talk about it all day long because like you said, we're in 2023 past inflation and you know interest rates and all that. But, I mean, pricing optimization is the easiest, fastest way to grow your margins. So we're having the right conversation. Jason, is there any other part that you think we should cover? I guess the only other thing that I would say really needs to be looked at in when you're making these decisions is, you know, a combination of what your ad spend and returns look like are also a very key piece that people very often miss when they're making pricing decisions. Because yep. returns, the expenses on returns are through the roof well, on Amazon. I, I've harped on that quite a bit because still to this day, Amazon just doesn't do a good job of putting all that data together. No, the clarity, I mean, it's if you don't have software, it's almost impossible. And even with software and with all the API data, they're literally not giving you the same data points on your refunds and on your return units. 
Like you have to piece that together with like uh, you know bubble gum and sticks in order to actually get yep. that data to be meaningful, and it's wild. But you know, at the end of the day, if you're not looking at your return rates, you know, and your ad spend when you're making pricing decisions, you can't yep. just use the Amazon calculator and say I'm at 20 points because you're missing that piece potentially if that's a you know something that is happening on your listings. And you know the other you know parent listing you know viewing your parent and the profit of a parent is also probably you know place where places where people get lost and they look at ASINs only and like this ASIN is good this ASIN is bad and you know very often a one ASIN is the lost leader and is supporting the rest of the you know the rest of the retail store so to say. So really understanding is the parent profitable or is the parent losing money probably you know one of the most important things when you're making pricing decisions, ad spend decisions, and things like that. Totally. Okay. Well, Jason, thanks for coming on. It's AZ Seller Kit. That's the business that you work with. And if people want to learn more, ask you questions, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Sure. If you go to azsellerkit.com, then there's basically a you know a sign up button and a meeting button. If you're booking a meeting on the calendar, that's basically my calendar. I'm the you know I'm the founder. I love talking to people. I'm not at the point yet where my calendar's so full that I don't that I'm not picking you know new people. So I you know I love meeting with you know new accounts and it seems like every new account that we speak to, you always learn something. And we've really just built our whole business around just learning and it's uh, so we're always excited to talk to people yeah no two sellers are the same exactly okay. well we'll wrap up there thanks everyone for listening and that's the pod no. thanks Scott one two three yeah.